Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. All right, let me clear up the elephant in the room. Yesterday, I got a couple texts saying, Jeff, are, are you sick? What's, what's going on? It sounds a little bit different. Well, and here's the bottom line. I have a cold, and it's funny because around here, pretty much every fall and every spring, I, I get a cold, and it gets into my throat a little bit, and a little bit of congestion and things like that. Now, under normal circumstances, I would just come into work, and you'd kind of you know muddle through it. it. It's not a debilitating sort of thing, but these are not normal times, and we encourage people, and my employer certainly does, to say, okay, if you're not feeling good, well, well don't come in. Now, I'm not not feeling so poorly that I can't do the show, but I've got a cold. And so um, my program director, Brad Lane, and our super engineer, Scotty Pfeiffer, have hooked this up so I can do the show remotely. So a couple people were speculating on that. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm at home and probably will be at home for a couple days. Now, one of the other things, because I just want to say this is not do as I you know, say, not as I do, um, I, I, I've got a cold. I have not been around anybody that's tested positive for COVID, no indication that I have COVID or anything like that. But, you know, I'm going to go get tested. I think the testing, I'm going to go see my doctor tomorrow. Um, I have no indication that I would have it. But if you look at the different symptoms of a cold, gee, do you have some nasal congestion? Yes. Gee, do you have a little bit of tightness in your chest? Yeah, I've got all those little things because it comes with a cold. So in the effort of better, safe, and sorry, we're going to be doing the program from a remote location for a couple days. But that, that's it. So you don't need to send the text or the email saying, Jeff, you, you sound sick. I, yeah, I've got a little bit of cold. Nothing bad. I think that that's all it's going to be. But I, I think, especially in today's day and age, these are the things that you need to do. You need to be smart. You need to be proactive. And I certainly appreciate my employer giving me the option, again, instead of just taking off a sick day when you're really not so sick that you can't do your job. But at the same time, I also understand I, some people were texting in yesterday saying, boy, your, your voice sounds a little bit rough. Well, just th there are moments. So bear with me because I, I have a cold. So working through that. But I don't think it's anything more than that. But again, it's one of those things where in a COVID world, you want to be smart. And the last thing I want to do is go into work and risk giving one of my teammates giving them a cold because I think that's all it is but you know we want to be smart about these things so for the next couple of days my program is going to be originating from home and if you notice a slight vocal difference or something like that that is in fact the explanation okay let us get started yesterday in front of the Wisconsin Supreme Court there was an oral argument held about the question of how much authority does Tony Evers have with regard to various restrictions that he has put in place. Uh, as we all know, the governor had a safer at home order, that that was overturned by the Supreme Court. The governor has mask rules that he has put into effect. The governor has limits on the, the number of gatherings that he has put into effect. And those have been challenged. Here is the legal issue that is presented. I understand that some people confuse, well, what they think should be the outcome versus what the law says. The law in Wisconsin, in my opinion, is very clear that the governor has broad powers 
in times of health emergencies to impose various rules, restrictions like a mask ordinance or something like that. But those restrictions, he only can do that for 60 days. After the 60-day emergency period expires, I think the law is very clear. At that point in time, the governor just can't unilaterally impose things. At that point in time, it becomes the responsibility of the legislature to have to either sign off or institute new procedures or whatever. The governor gets 60 days, and that, that 60 days expired a long time ago. Now, I think, and this is my prediction, the Wisconsin Supreme Court is going to, maybe it's going to be along the, the conservative-liberal split, but my guess is, by a 4-3 to three vote, the Wisconsin Supreme Court is going to rule that the governor doesn't have the authority to impose restrictions that last essentially forever. Now, some of you might not like that. Some of you might think, oh, well, the, the governor should be able to do it. But I think the law is very, very clear that he's limited as to what he can do. So I think that's the decision that is going to come out of all this, that the governor just can't do it on its own, his own. And I believe that that, from a legal perspective, is the right decision. All right, that doesn't end the inquiry, though. Because we are, of course, in the middle of a pandemic. You've got the number of COVID cases that are skyrocketing. And even if the governor doesn't have the ability legally to impose various restrictions, that doesn't mean that you can't have restrictions. And I think at that point in time, the legislature has to kick in. And it has been a fair criticism, I think, that the legislature has really done nothing other than to say that the governor doesn't have the authority to do what he's done. Well, that's, that's only part of the solution. Now the question becomes, and the elections are over, so there's not a political reason not to do this. The question becomes, okay, where do we go from here? And what should the legislature working with the governor do? There's no question in my mind that the governor, if he had his choice, he would shut down the state again. I, I firmly believe that, that that's his typical default position, let's shut everything down. I don't think that makes any sense. I think that creates a huge economic problem, and, and I don't think that the people, I don't think in general Wisconsin would support a massive shutdown. But that doesn't mean that you can't do anything, and it doesn't mean that the legislature shouldn't do anything. All right, I've been trying to review this different stuff and, and looking at the various things, and all across the country, there, there's all sorts of different responses that are being taken. In Florida, they've decided to do nothing, no restrictions at all. Los Angeles or in California, well, they're, they're going back to like massive shutdowns of, of pretty much everything. And other states have a more targeted approach. I mentioned this briefly last week. In Minnesota, where they're, again, experiencing a huge the outbreaks of COVID, just like we are in Wisconsin, just like we are around the country. In, in, in Minnesota, the governor has come out with a targeted approach. And what the governor said is, look, we, we've done contract tracing, and we understand where the problems are. The problems that we are seeing, uh, we're able to trace about 70% of the cases. 70% were able to trace them to bars and restaurants after 9 or 10 o'clock at night. Typically, when people have been drinking, they let their guard down, and they start violating you know, some of the different rules. 
and we've noticed it um, with, with gatherings in excess of 10 or 20 people. So instead of saying, we're going to close everything down, what they've done is they said, okay, we're going to target this. And, and what we're going to do is we're going to impose limitations. In other words, we're going to say for the time being, bars and restaurants have to close at 10 o'clock at night. All right, you can stay open, you can serve people, we're going to put capacity limits on, but, but you've got to close at 9 or 10 o'clock at night because we think that the numbers support that decision. In addition, we are going to concentrate on limiting the size of gatherings. You know, you have a wedding with 300 people, that turns into a super spreader event. So we're going to crack down on that sort of stuff. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. There, there's really three ways you can go moving forward. And the legislature is going to have to face this. Do nothing. Close down everything. Neither one of those alternatives strike me as being good. Or take a measured in-between approach. And to me, something like they've done in Minnesota makes a lot of sense. Let's figure out where the real problem is. Let's limit the size of, of gatherings, these indoor gatherings, and maybe for the time being, let's impose some curfews so we shut places down at 10 o'clock at night. I don't think that's unreasonable. I think that's a balanced approach, and I certainly think that the sooner the legislature bites the bullet and gets around to making some of those decisions, the better off it's going to be for everybody. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So it's kind of the Goldilocks question. You know, what do we do? Do we shut everything down? Do we do absolutely nothing? Or do we try to find something in the middle that's, that's just kind of that just right thing? 855-616-1620, would you support, again, curfews, limits on the sizes of gatherings, curfews, bars and restaurants closing like at 10 o'clock at night, but otherwise allowing businesses to stay open. Seems to me that's the way to start. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a minute. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, so where do we go from here? Because this is the the reality is the legislature is going to be faced with this question once the state Supreme Court rejects the governor's authority to impose his restrictions. I think what you have to do is I think you have to find a, a middle ground. Um, 855-616-1620. Jeff, I'd like to think a targeted approach would work. However, I work for a company that seems to have been very good about procedure and prevention until this morning when I received an email indicating that an employee tested positive 11 days ago. Well, all right. Jeff, we should just let the virus run its course. We will reach herd immunity and be done with this earlier. Well, okay, here's the problem with herd immunity. Until you have a vaccine that ends up working, herd immunity, I mean, herd immunity means that 60-70% of the population, maybe 50%, is going to have to get COVID. And if that happens, you're going to have like really bad outcomes, at least among a certain percentage. I mean, I don't think just, okay, herd immunity is, is the answer until, in fact, you have a vaccine. I think you have to have a balancing. Um, Jeff, I would absolutely support a measured, sensible response by the legislature, who, in my opinion, should get to work. Time for this is way over. And, and again, I think you know the legislature can come out and the legislature can say, we're, we're not going to shut down the state. That, 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 
That doesn't make any sense. What we did was safer at home. I understand why the governor did it back in, in April, but it, it it was an over, at least in my opinion, it was a way, it was an overreaction because we closed all sorts of businesses that had nothing to do with the spread of COVID-19. Here what we're talking about is dealing with, let's try to focus on, on where the spreading events are and let's concentrate on, on that. And, and maybe... Maybe you don't need a curfew at 9 o'clock. Maybe you need a curfew at 11 o'clock. Maybe you can figure out, all right, the, the events. Maybe we can cap the size of gatherings at, at 50. Maybe you can cap at 100. You know, figure it out. Follow the science on that. But we need to, I think, find a responsible middle ground between just let it rip and let's everybody hide in the basement. 855-616-1620. Mark in Kenosha. Mark, you're first. Good afternoon. Hey, thanks for having me. Sure, hi, Mark. You know, I, I don't think the curfew is going to work at all, and I'll give you a little bit of anecdotal evidence to prove it. Uh, less than two weeks ago, I was called out to a bar to do some work. I'm a service technician, and when I walked in, I almost turned right back around and walked out because it was a pretty small bar, but there was at least 30 to 40 people in there, and I promise you not a single one of them was wearing a mask, People were still grouped up pretty well together, and I thought, you guys are trying to kill me here. Uh, but I kept my head down. I did the work. I got out of there. But uh, not a single person of those 30 to 40 people was wearing a mask. And this was the middle of the day, mind you. It wasn't 7, 8, 9, oh. 10 o'clock, you know. No, it was, <laughs> it was like okay. 2 p.m., Okay, well, well, Mark, thanks for the call. First of all, I, it, here, here's the problem. You know, in bars and restaurants, I, I, people say this to me, well, people aren't wearing masks. Well, no, you're not going to be wearing masks in bars and restaurants because you're, you're going to be eating and you're going to be drinking. So to me, that, that's... That, that, that's kind of a, it's sort of a red herring to put that out there. Well, people weren't were doing that because you, you can't allow the places to stay open. Now, again, I come back to the curfew because in Minnesota, they were at least able to say this was targeted. You know, we have our research which says that we think 70% of the cases come from these situations, bars and restaurants late at night, and then some of the other gatherings. So they're trying to target those particular reactions which is to me what, what makes sense. Now, does that mean that you guarantee that you know, somebody's going to go into a bar at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and that, that is sick and, and has COVID and give it to other people? No, there's no guarantees. But you're trying to get some sort of limitation on these things. And to me, it's follow the science and do the math. And following the science says, let's figure out where this is spreading, and then let's try to target those, those particular responses. At least I would say that's where that's where you start as opposed to simply we're going to shut everything down again which candidly will destroy the economy it will have all sorts of adverse impacts and at some point in time you've got to open things up again and then you're going to have the number spread so doesn't it make more sense to try to figure out what the risky behavior is and then concentrate on that um eric in kenosha eric you're on wtmj Hey, how's it going today? Hi, hi Eric. What um, do you think? I, I, de I, I definitely agree that we need to do some sort of limited close down. Um, the overwhelming trend that we see, obviously, in the state is we are a very big tavern state. We have a very strong tavern league in our state. Um, next week is Thanksgiving, and everybody knows it's one of the biggest bar nights 
of the year is coming up, and we have these students from Green Bay, Stevens Point, Whitewater, all the little colleges with these pockets of COVID outbreaks going on right now, and those students are coming home next week. So I think part of when they need to start focusing is also looking at next week, Thursday, is there something that the universities are going to offer for turkey dinners at the universities? Let's keep our students here. We know it's going to be a pain about FaceTime with your families, but please be careful, everybody, especially students. You know, they've been going out to bars. They may be asymptomatic, and they are coming home to their families. And I think we're yeah. going to see a big thing from that. Well, you could. I mean, th- thanks for that. You, you could be right. You know, it's interesting. That, that's why, for example, there was, and I, I made this point the other day, there was this huge controversy about how when the colleges resumed, what happened is you, you had all the, the, these spikes in, in COVID cases, and people were saying, oh, this shows how irresponsible it was for the colleges to resume. Well, th- that wasn't real the problem. It wasn't people getting COVID in the dorms. It wasn't people getting COVID going into the classes. It was the 200 kids get together and they go to the kegger, and a couple people are sick, and, th- and then everybody's sick. So... I guess rather than shutting down the university, again, to me, what you want to do is you want to concentrate on where the problem is. Let's try to shut down the keggers. And people are saying, well, if you put a curfew in the bars, people will just go out earlier. That might be possible to an extent. And, look, I'm not arguing that this is a magic bullet. All I'm saying is... For example, if you use the numbers in Minnesota, and my guess is they're probably similar in Wisconsin, they are able to trace the big spreads to late at night after people have been drinking. Now, does that mean that, um, all right, maybe people will start drinking earlier at 6 o'clock, and then you'll, you'll, you'll have the same thing going on at 7 if you close the bars? You know, maybe. I, maybe. But the, the obvious logical thing is let, let's, let's put in curfews to try to deal with the late night drinking. And then if it turns out that everybody's going to be doing the same behavior at six o'clock, then, then you can adapt to that. But I'm trying to find some middle ground that makes sense between the let it rip and the we, we can't go anywhere, we have to shut stuff down. And candidly, I think that's the common sense approach, and, and that's where the legislature, I think, now needs to get involved. My prediction is they're going to have the power to do it. The court's not going to allow Tony Evers just to continue to shut stuff down, but the legislature's got to step up, and I'm hoping they step up with a middle ground. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right. A week from Thursday is Thanksgiving, and Thanksgiving is traditionally one of the big travel times of the year. One of our callers in the last segment was pointing out correctly that that, that the Wednesday before Thanksgiving tends to be historically Actually, I think it's the biggest bar night of the year, with possibly the exception of New Year's Eve. Because what happens is you've got all these people who are, are traveling. You've got college kids that are coming home, and they're getting together with their friends at the bars the night before Thanksgiving. You have people who are, I don't know, traveling to their hometowns to see their parents or whatever, and they're hooking up with some of their, you know, their old friends. Tends to be a big sort of social night. And, you know, you have the, the day before Thanksgiving, huge travel day, the Sunday. 
Sunday after Thanksgiving is historically one of the two or three biggest travel days in, in the year. I have a very dear friend, uh, friends, a number of years ago, they, they got married over Thanksgiving. I always remember this. They got married over Thanksgiving. It was the, the Saturday of Thanksgiving in, um, in East Lansing, Michigan. And so, you know, we, we flew out to attend the wedding and coming back on that Sunday was just an absolute nightmare because, again, everybody was traveling that day. And I always remember saying, Tom and Meredith, did you have to pick that particular weekend to get married? Because, again, people are traveling a lot. People want to go home. People want to see their families. And even if your family is in town, it's one of the opportunities for people to get together around the Thanksgiving table. All right. Now, of course, this year is unlike all the other years because we're in the middle of, of a pandemic. You've got health officials that are encouraging people don't have folks over. And there's always this balancing between saying, okay, we're going to have you know, a party with 75 or 100 people. We're going to have a huge dinner with like 40 or 50 people, including extended family members, versus you know, we're going to sit at the table and, and have turkey TV dinners. There's always that balancing that, that's there to try to find that happy medium. Um, I am looking at a survey. This is actually Fox News from a couple days ago. Um, here's the headline. About 40% of Americans intend to celebrate Thanksgiving with at least 10 people, study finds. Study also suggests that a third of the hosts won't require guests to wear masks. Uh, researchers from Ohio State conducted this uh, survey, and that they found is about you know, almost 40% of the people are still planning on attending gatherings, gatherings with more than 10 people. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How are you going to be handling Thanksgiving? Now, my guess is, traditionally, you would probably have, I don't know, in in our case, I I would say the Thanksgiving dinner would tend to be uh, probably around 20 people or so. We're not doing that this year. Um, I think we're going to have a, a much more limited sort of situation, probably just a couple people over, and then say, okay, we're going to see some of the kids and some of the grandkids. We're going to see them at different times. We're trying to be responsible, and, and I'm not sure you know, 20 to 30 people, our traditional gathering, would be like that. So we, we've just kind of collectively, as a family, made the decision that it's going to be much more limited this year. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are you changing your plans for Thanksgiving? Why or why not? 855-616-1620, we discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I I love Thanksgiving, and, and typically... Thanksgiving at the extended Wagner household would involve my wife and I, my brother, my niece, my nephew, um, both her kids, their families, and a, a number of our of our friends. So typically, again, 20 to 35 people or so in, in that ballpark. Um, and and, and I, I enjoy it. I look forward to it because I love all those folks, and I love having everybody around. We have collectively decided this year we're, we're not going to do it. So I think Thanksgiving this year is going to involve just just a couple people, um, maybe my brother and my niece and nephew coming over. And then, you know, we'll see everybody else later on. I'm sorry to have that happen, but I think it's the only responsible thing to do. How 
how are you changing, if at all, your Thanksgiving plans? 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Larry in Columbus. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Yeah. Uh, we went from 22 to 6 for Thanksgiving. Okay. Oh, and we're okay. probably going to do the same thing for Christmas. Okay. Uh, how did you decide who made the cut? <laughs> well, it was pretty easy. My extended family uh, didn't make the cut. You know, it's just okay. my immediate family. My right. son and my daughter, right. grandson, son-in-law. Right. Yeah. That was, and, that, and I'm sure that's a tough decision because like, if you're like me, you love Thanksgiving, you love seeing everybody, but it, it just doesn't make sense this year to do that. Right. It, it, it was just this, what I thought was the wise thing to do, and I ran it past my siblings, and that's what the, they agreed that that was yeah. probably the, uh, the wise thing to do. Yeah, Larry, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. 855-616-1620. Greg says, no big family gathering this year. Typically, we'd have 50 people. This year, we're doing immediately family only. It's the right thing to do, and it's it's not a, a big deal. Jeff, we are retired and medically at risk, so this year it's just going to be the two of us and no adult children who live all over the country and although currently healthy, have been tested often due to their individual exposures in vulnerable areas of employment. Um, Jeff, it can be a pajama and movie day all day this year. Our adult kids will probably enjoy having the time off. Jeff, my son from Minnesota may be coming in with his family, four total. If they do, there will be six of us. His sisters and their families will not be coming. They live in Wisconsin. The cousins will not be interacting this year. It's sad, but we've all agreed that we think this is best. Jeff, I'm heading for my brothers for the holiday. COVID isn't the threat, just bad cooking with loved ones. Ooh, ooh, ouch. Um, <clears throat> Jeff, I'm going to sit in the basement by myself with a bottle of wild turkey. Well, I don't know about the wild turkey in the basement by yourself, but, you know, all right. Jeff, there would be a total of six people as we do every holiday. Our daughter and son-in-law both work at companies that have had COVID outbreaks, so I decided to call it off until 2021. Jeff, I'm not changing a thing. Hysteria will not rule my life. Okay, Uh, let me just stop for for just a second with with the whole idea of hysteria. Because if you're a regular listener to this program, you know, I, I try to balance... Uh, the, the reactions out the balance between I'm going to huddle in the basement by myself and drink the wild turkey versus the let, let's just let it rip. And I guess I don't think trying to be careful is necessarily giving in to hysteria. I, I told this story before. My my stepdaughter and son-in-law have a great party every. It's the night before Thanksgiving. They call it an old-fashioned Thanksgiving, where they have friends and neighbors and family members who come over to their house, and it, you, you drink old fashions. And, and my my son-in-law Darren, you know, he plays bartender and he and he makes these these old fashions and stuff. And and it, it's generally a party that involves about fifty people or so. And they always have this deal. They've been doing it for I think thirteen years. And they have this deal where at, at the end, when the party's winding down at two or three in the morning or whatever, they they take a picture of the last men and women standing 
standing, that sort of stuff. They love that party. It's a great party. We we would go to it. I mean, I've been going every year since I, I've uh, since since Fran and I've been married, and I, and I love it. But the bottom line of it is, if they they had a long conversation this year, and they thought, okay, can we do this responsibly? Can we do it through a drive-through thing? Can we do it virtually? And, and they just decided that it, it wasn't the responsible thing to do. I don't think that that's giving into hysteria. I think that's, okay, this year, just going about and doing what we normally do and having 50 people over, you know, where we're going to be serving alcohol and stuff like that, it's an unnecessary risk this year. And to me, I get it. That, that makes all sorts of sense. It's not saying that, you know, we're, we're not going to interact at all. It's just saying this probably isn't the best time to have a big party with 50 people. Danny in West Dallas. Danny, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Um, well, usually when my family gets together, it's like a reunion of the Hatfield and McCoys. So <laughs> this year, COVID's actually doing a great thing for me. It gives me an excuse to stay home. <laughs> now, that sounds so, like a little bit uh, of a yeah, humbug. I, that, Danny, that sounds like a little bit of a humbug. I love Thanksgiving, you know? Oh, I do. I you know, I really do. Um, I love Thanksgiving. Well, I should say I used to. Uh, and same with Christmas, but unfortunately, uh, ever since one of my parents died, my family is just, they've turned into a bunch of people I just don't want to be around. And, yeah. you know, now now it's like, well, great, I actually have a reason to stay home now and have a better day by myself. Interesting. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Okay, here, here's some breaking news. And I guess people can process that as they choose. Now, I, I by the way, again, I, I'm trying to, I don't think government can shut, shut down our way out of this problem. Because I think what happens is when government, especially when you try to have shutdown orders that people just don't comply with, you, you end up, they end up becoming ridiculous. And, you know, in Dane County, for example, they've had this order in place saying that if you visit somebody's place, you have to wear a, a mask inside. And my point all along has been that that's absolutely unenforceable. But here's the latest. All right. This is from the State Journal. With records being set for COVID-19 cases, hospitalizations, and death, Public Health Madison in Dane County has issued a new order banning all indoor gatherings and limiting outdoor gatherings to 10 people with physical distancing. The order which applies to people who do not live together, goes into effect at 12.01 a.m. Wednesday and is in effect till December 16th at 12.01. It continues to require face coverings and limit the capacity for most businesses to 50%. The prior order limited gatherings to 10 people indoors and 25 outdoors. So this order I mean, presumably means that you would not be allowed to have anyone over to your house for Thanksgiving. The order, which applies to people who do not live together, uh, no indoor gatherings at all. So Dane County is canceling any Thanksgiving event. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, again, is somebody who's trying to argue that we need to have some sort of responsible middle ground here. The idea that 
the government is now saying you cannot have anybody over to your house outside your you got to live together so this means you know your you couldn't have your brother over you couldn't have your neighbors over not limiting it as far as size but limiting it entirely is something like this workable 855-616-1620 that's the acunate mortgage talk and text line will people follow this is it an overreaction is it enforceable are we going to have the thanksgiving police where if you live in dane county and you decide that you're going to i don't know have your daughter and son-in-law over for thanksgiving dinner or have your kids over for thanksgiving dinner that you will now be in violation of the rule I, I'm, I'm telling you i just don't see see i see stuff like this as a complete and total overreach. Back with your calls in just a minute, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, we were talking about you know Thanksgiving and how your Thanksgiving plans have changed. And I think that the general consensus is most people recognize that it can't just be business as usual so they're scaling back things but still you know limited gatherings were going to occur well if dane county has its way they have canceled essentially thanksgiving gatherings new order just issued by dane county applies to people who do not live together so that would be again that would apply to your neighbors it would apply to your kids if they're outside the home your parents whatever um dane county has issued a new order starting on wednesday starting tomorrow morning at 12 1 a.m banning all indoor gatherings and that's going to be in effect for approximately a month um so no indoor gatherings at all so if you're planning i guess presumably on on having your kids over for thanksgiving that would be unlawful or at least it would be in violation of the order 855-616-1620 that's the accident mortgage talk and text line uh jeff but we're all able to go to work right well yes you you can you can go to work and you can go to the grocery store and you can go buy the turkey but you just can't have family members apparently over to um, engage in that. Um, Jeff, we can't work. We can't have meetings. Um, Jeff, is it workable? Yes. Will people comply? No. Should they comply? Yes. There is no middle ground here. We're in the middle of a raging pandemic. That's one of the texts. See, and I, I disagree. There, there has to be a common sense middle ground between saying we're, we're not going to allow people to you know go out of their homes and we're not going to allow people to leave their basements versus hey it's just going to be the wild wild west jeff i think this order put down in dane county is just make governor evers feel like everything else um all right jeff um let's see um this is from dane county uh, need we say or think anything else i believe that this is just outrageous um Yes. Jeff, regarding Dane County, I feel bad for the circuit court judges. They obviously will not be able to enjoy Thanksgiving themselves because they will have to be available for warrants issuing when the police decide they want to go in and do head counts when they see too many cars in front of an individual home. Jeff, these draconian rules will not work and actually have the opposite effect. People will still get together. Now, see, I, I love the word draconian because that's, that's absolutely what it applies. How do you enforce something like this? If you're driving 
through, I don't know, a Dane County suburb, and all of a sudden you see on Thanksgiving Day, you see, what, four or five cars parked in front of somebody's house, what exactly are we going to do? Are you going to go call the authorities and try to get a warrant and go in and bust up the Thanksgiving party? This is where I think you have to have a balance between, again, common sense, discouraging people from having large parties, and maybe, even with the force of law, discouraging large parties, versus we're going to be the police and we're going to decide if you have your son and daughter-in-law over for Thanksgiving, you know, we're going to try to come down on you. It's when you try to do this overreach that I think what ends up happening is you get the blowback. It's not effective. It's not enforceable. And at the end of the day, it just discourages people from being willing and wanting to comply with the reasonable restrictions that are out there. And that's not downplaying the fact that there's a pandemic. It's not downplaying the fact that people need to be smart. It's not downplaying the fact that people need to stop doing stupid stuff, but to say, okay, we're not going to let you get together with, again, your kids on Thanksgiving if you think it's safe to do so. That's where I think you get the government overreach and you get the government blowback. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. I just sent out a a tweet that that has a link to this story, and I understand maybe if you were listening the last 10 minutes, you said, no, this can't be. But um, it it is, in fact, true that uh, Dane County has just issued an order that will, quote, no longer permit residents from different households to gather indoors no matter how many people. They've issued a new emergency order prohibiting indoor gatherings of any size starting Wednesday at midnight. That would be tonight. The order prohibits outdoor gatherings of more than 10 people and requires physical distancing. It will remain in effect for a month. So in other words, if you want to... I don't know, have your neighbors over, or if you want to go visit your parents, or you want to go visit your kids, or whatever. Anybody, regardless of relation, who lives outside your household is not allowed to come into your house. All right, now that that's that's it. And I've already I've gotten a couple of people texting me. How dare you question this? Don't you understand that you know we've got a pandemic and we should be able to do anything, and we've got to require people to not do anything that, and otherwise you don't realize that this is significant. To which my response is. I think you have to have a a balancing. And I understand that there are some people, and you know who you are, who just want to hunker down in your basement until there is a vaccine, and and you don't care what the world is going to look like when you come out. You don't care if there's businesses that are open, and you don't care if millions of people have been unemployed, versus the folks who say, well, you know, it's going to be natural selection, and if people want to get sick, they can get sick. I I understand that there's both extremes. To me, you need to have an approach that that makes sense in, in the middle. And I guess I sent this out on tweet. You can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. And my question, and it's really not a rhetorical one, but it is explain to me, you know, how this will be enforced. And if it can't be enforced, what is the purpose of issuing such an order? I mean, is Dane County seriously now at the point where they are going to become the the, the 
police to the point that we're going to drive through neighborhoods and we're going to see, hey, we've got two cars that are parked in the, the driveway there. We're going to go bang on the door and we're going to do a head count. Or on Thanksgiving Day, are we going to have the Dane County Police and the Madison Police, are they going to be deployed going door to door to determine if you've decided to invite your, your kids over for Thanksgiving? And I, I just I raise this question because maybe some of you think that this is a it's a good idea to to do this. Yes, we we, we have to stop people from gathering in, in any way, shape, or form. And, and maybe some of you think that that's a good idea. But the question is, does it become the government's responsibility to tell you that? And is it an overreach? And and again, is it enforceable? And that's my first question, which is, how in the world is Dane County going to enforce something like? this. I lump this in the same category of where they put the order in that says, if you go to visit somebody, you've got to wear a mask. <clears throat> How are they going to know if the kid going to UW who goes out and meets somebody and brings them back to their apartment afterwards is wearing a mask or not? It's one of these completely and totally unenforceable things. And I would argue that this is in the same category as that. And I would also argue that I think that you risk an incredible backlash by overreaching when it comes to limitations. Will there be that backlash? I, I, I don't know. But I, I suspect that there's a lot of people in Dane County who would plan for perhaps reasonable Thanksgiving gatherings, maybe with their immediate family, not 30, not 40 people, but maybe you know we'll, we'll have our son and daughter-in-law over. And my guess is that they're not intending to change their plans simply because the health czars in Madison say that they must. Don't know. We'll see how all that plays out. All right, let us switch gears. The numbers are in. And again, I understand that understand that some of you aren't going to like to hear this. I, I appreciate that. But the numbers are in. They have essentially completed the 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 count, the, the official canvas of votes in Wisconsin. Now four years ago, Donald Trump beat Hillary Clinton by a very close margin, about 22,000 votes. Uh, the new numbers are out. The official tally says that Biden, in 2020, beat Trump by 20,600 votes. 20,600 votes. That's about uh, 0.6 percentage points. All right? Here's the, the deal. Um, if, if it's less than 1%, the losing candidate can request a, a recount. The deal is, if it's 0.25% or less, the state has to pay for it. That's not what the margin is. It's about 0.6%. If the Trump campaign wants to have a recount, the Trump campaign would have to pay for it. And the cost is about $8 million. $8 million to do the recount. As of now, the Trump campaign hasn't decided what they're going to do, but it would be about $8 million for the recount. Now, we have had statewide recounts before. The statewide recounts have never changed the results of, of an election. And I, I don't know, and somebody can correct me, but I don't know that there's ever been a, a swing of more than 500 votes one way or the other in a statewide recount. Because the statewide recounts aren't looking at, you know, were votes fraudulently counted. They're looking at, these are the votes. Has, has there been a mistake made in the way the votes have tabulated? So the idea of, 
a recount changing the numbers in any material fashion is, I think, far-fetched at best. But nevertheless, I understand there's people who think that you know President Trump didn't didn't lose Wisconsin and want him to pursue pursue avenues. So here's my question: eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The count is in. It shows that President Trump lost Wisconsin by about 20,600 votes, which is slightly less than the margin that he won Wisconsin four years ago. Should the Trump campaign insist on a recall, and is it worth spending $8 million to do that? And I guess the other question is, would you contribute money to help pay for that? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To me, going through the process of a recount is just, it's absolutely futile. For people out there who think that maybe the election was stolen and are hanging on to the, the hope that maybe you can have litigation, that that's one thing, okay? If you can find evidence of fraud, you go for it. But to try to argue that the numbers are going to change by spending $8 million, very unlikely. You know, they, they did the official canvassing, and I think Biden picked up 50-some votes and Trump picked up 70 votes. To believe that you're going to swing almost 20 21,000 votes, I think it's just it, it's just a fool's errand, especially if it's going to cost $8 million bucks. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. I, I don't know if it's fair to say that the fat lady is singing, but she's definitely clearing her throat. The the final numbers are in. They've done the count. It shows that Joe Biden won Wisconsin by about 20,600 votes. The next question is whether or not President Trump wants to push for a recount. Uh, if he does... He's got to come up with about $8 million to pay for the recount. Might be a little bit less than that. Because my point is, I, I've seen statewide recounts before, and they, they never flip more than uh, a couple hundred votes one way or the other. Because in a recount, all you're doing, you're not questioning about the legitimacy of various ballots. You're just saying, hey, were, were the numbers counted correctly? There will be some changes because elections are, are kind of imperfect. But 20,600 is, to me, just it, it's a number. You're never going to see that flip. So what do we do? Let's start with Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, how are you? Real well, thank you, sir. What do you think? <clears throat> I, uh, the final part I agree with, I think that'd be um, uh, futile for the most part. But if they were going to do an audit, I would agree with that, and I would contribute to paying for that. Okay, when you say an audit, what do you mean? Checking to see if uh, votes were uh, fraudulent. Okay. Well, I guess, and that, that's not, and thanks for the call. I mean, that, see, that, that's not what, what's going on right now. That, that would not be what's covered in, in a recount. If you, I guess, if you wanted to bring a lawsuit alleging that there was fraudulent behavior, that, that votes um, were, were illegally cast or whatever, 
the courts could theoretically, I guess, order that and try to examine certain ballots, although that would be very difficult. You know, there was the lawsuit that was brought late last week by some people in the northern part of the state, and they've, you know, alleging all sorts of examples of fraud, and they've dismissed that. that that's already been dropped. So to my knowledge, I'm not sure that there's any litigation that's going on. A recount, though, is exactly that. It's just a recount. Were the ballots counted accurately? And I guess at this point in time, to me, that, that's throwing good money after bad to simply say, let, let's go over and let's recount the numbers. If the margin was 1,000 votes, well, then it, it might be worth going through that. If the margin was 1,500, it might be worth going through that because maybe you can find some errors here and there. But to believe that you're going to find almost 21,000 votes which were miscounted, um, it's just it's, it's not going to happen. Let's talk to Gianni in Montello. You're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. Oh, good afternoon, Jeff. It's a cold one today. Hey, listen, it's a no-brainer. Uh, of course Trump should uh, uh, ask for a recount, and his supporters, uh, who seem to think he's he's some sort of prophet, should, should ante up and pay for it. Now, wouldn't that uh, just uh, throw about $8 million into the Wisconsin economy? And by the way, what sort of damage was done uh, with all his super spreader events? So ante up, uh, Trump supporters, and... Um, Come up with the eight million dollars, and we'll we'll see we'll see if there's a there's a problem with the, the tally. The well, thanks tally. thanks for the call, Gianni. I guess here, here's my response. If, if you, I would argue that if you wanted, if you were a Republican donor, and you wanted to contribute money towards trying to advance Republican causes, you'd be better off sending that money to Georgia to help you know, re-elect one or two Republican senators there. Or it might be that you'd be better off making those donations to help accomplish you know, other things, elect more Republicans. Or if you want to support President Trump in efforts to start lawsuits trying to invalidate the results in Pennsylvania or Michigan or in Arizona or Georgia or wherever. And I've already argued this. I think it's some point in time, unless you've got real concrete evidence of fraud, what you're doing is you're going on a fool's errand. But I guess regardless, if you, if you had money that you wanted to donate, the idea that you would donate money to support and pay for a recount in a Wisconsin election where the margin of victory is almost 21,000 votes, that's, that's God's way of telling you you have too much money. I mean, I'm not discouraging people from fail. If you, if you want to support, continue to support the president in his efforts to have the election overturned, fine. There, there's ways you can do it. There, there's ways you can do it, and there's ways you can contribute your money. If you want to spend your money, again, trying to advance political causes, that, that's great. I've got all sorts of ideas as to how you could do that. But to simply say, I'm going to give this money because I want to support a recount, when in reality, the recount has no chance of succeeding at all, uh, you know, why? Okay, somebody says, my question is, why is it $8 million? Did the normal count cost that? Now, th this is kind of an interesting question because the last statewide recount, I believe, was a couple million dollars. And, and this one, they say it is going to be more expensive than that. Remember, in 2016, uh, Jill Stein, who was in the Green Party, she requested a, a recount, even though 
she had no chance of winning, and, and she had to pay about $2 million for the recount. But the problem is the recount they estimate this year is going to be a lot more expensive because of, of coronavirus. They say some counties are going to need to rent large halls to conduct the recount so they can keep workers and observers distanced from one another. Plus, there, there's a short time frame, and there's increased security costs. So the, the bottom line is it might not be $8 million. That, that might be on the high side. Maybe it's $4 million, Maybe it's $5 million. Don't know how that's going to work out. But the problem is, regardless, the, the, the hill that you've got to climb, 21,000 or 20,600 votes, it's just too large a hill to climb, period. And my argument would be Republican donors and the president should be able to come up with lots better ways to spend that money than, again, tilting at the windmill of the recount. Just saying. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So, very glad to have you with us. All right. This is kind of a, of a, of a non-starter. The headline in the local paper says, City, that would be the city of Milwaukee, admits former Milwaukee police chief Alfonso Morales denied due process when he was demoted. This, now, we've described the Milwaukee Fire and Police Commission as a complete and total dumpster fire, and I think... In fairness, that is an insult to dumpster fires. Uh, you, you can say it is dysfunctional. You can say it is a clown car act, and, and that's always that would all be true. Here's, so here's the deal. I think if you remember this, you know, Chief Morales, who in my opinion was probably the best chief the city of Milwaukee has had for the last couple decades. Well, what happened is they decided the Fire and Police Commission that they were going to run him out of, of town on a rail. And so what they did is they cooked up this kind of kangaroo court, and they, they essentially fired him. They, they demoted him without giving him an, an opportunity to be heard, without giving him due process rights, without following their own rules. Complete and total nightmare. All right, and then to the surprise of nobody, Chief Morales decided to file a lawsuit. And as I said at the time, this is one that uh, candidly, all you need to do from the perspective, if you're a taxpayer in the city of Milwaukee, the only question isn't, are you going to have to write a check? It's how big a check are you going to have to write? So yesterday, in the last day that the city attorney's office had to respond to a motion filed by Chief Morales' attorneys, the city came out and said, well, you know, you're, you're right that, that we did deny the chief due process when we demoted him to captain. All right, so yes, all these things that everybody said were correct. We violated his constitutional rights to due process. Uh, interestingly, the, the city attorney, the, the new city attorney who's been involved in more than his share of controversies, said even though we denied him his right to due process, we, we don't want to pay him money, though. Here's what we want to do. We want you to just let's, let's go back to square one. Let's pretend that we didn't demote him. Let's just send it back to the Fire and Police Commission, and let's give let's give them a do-over, essentially, after they've demoted him. All right, to which, you know, the, the chief's uh, attorney, Franklin Gimble, says, that's just absolutely outrageous. You, you demote the guy, you essentially run him out of town on a rail, you get caught violating his due process rights, and now you say, well, we, we just want a do-over. Never mind, let's pretend that none of that stuff happened. Let's send it back to us so we can shaft him again. 
Well, I, I don't think that that's going to get very far in the courts. I think it's semi-shameful semi that the, the city decided to try to do that in the first place. But the larger question is, and, and this is a question perhaps addressed to the mayor of the city, Tom, what the heck is going on in your city? How could it get this out of control? How could, for example, Fire and Police Commission, that is your appointees, how could they do something which was this blatantly illegal and think that they're going to get away with it? And then how can the city take the position that having already violated the man's due process rights, we, we should just get a do-over? Right? Just forget all about that everything we've done for these last several months. Just send it back to us so we can figure out a way to screw him over, but this time try to give him his due process in doing it. I don't think a court's going to buy it, but once again it shows what a mess the city of Milwaukee is. Period. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Melissa Barkley and WTMJ are teaming up with the Hunger Task Force to help make a difference for families in need this holiday season, and we're having a little bit of fun along the way. All your favorite WTMJ shows competing to see who can help donate the most Thanksgiving turkeys to families in need. It's WTMJ Cares. Pass the turkey. What you can do is you can go to our website, WTMJ.com, to donate. And then you can click on it. You scroll down, and you see the various hosts. And you can you can pick your favorite WTMJ show and donate turkeys. It's 15 bucks a piece. This is through the Hunger Task Force. And it's really it's a wonderful promotion to try to you know make sure that, especially in a year like like this, where so many people are struggling because of the pandemic and the economic effects that the pandemic has had, it's a chance to make sure we can help feed as many people as we possibly can on Thanksgiving. It's WTMJ Cares, powered by Watry Industries and Premier Aluminum. Okay, here's um, some more breaking news. Uh, look, the, the long-term view, the way we get out of this pandemic, and I think it should be clear to most people, is we're not going to be out of the woods until we get a vaccine and until a large number of people decide to accept the vaccine. You know, people talk about herd immunity, but the problem is without a vaccine, herd immunity means millions and millions and millions of people have to get sick. And that means that if you get millions and millions and millions of people sick, while well, the vast majority are going to recover, you're, you're going to have deaths and you're going to have like serious illnesses. And that's that that's not a good strategy so what what you need to do is you need to have a vaccine and people need to take it well over the course of the last two weeks there have been reports that you have both moderna and pfizer have have developed these vaccines which have had very very positive results in the, in the test test groups the, the the numbers are like over 90 percent so what's apparently happened is that the, these vaccines they, they believe in the next couple weeks they're going to get an, what's called the emergency use designation from the FDA. And that means that the treatments are still going to be experimental, and that means that you're going to have to sign off. It has to be informed consent. But it appears that like starting next month that they're going to have the authority to, again, use these vaccines um, in an emergency sort of case. The vaccines are going to be rolled out more people are going to receive it. The estimates are that maybe by the end of the year, 
um, what's going to happen is people in the high-risk groups, meaning people over 65, people with the underlying health conditions, and people in the health field, they might start being able to get vaccinated. And they estimate that the majority of vaccines will be released during the first quarter of 2021. So that's, that, that doesn't mean that everybody's going to be able to get it all at once, and there's clearly going to be priorities that are given. But the, the sooner an effective vaccine is developed, and the sooner at least a, a majority of people make that decision to get it, the, the better off it's going to be. So the big challenge, I think, right now is scaling up production. But right now, first to receive the vaccine likely to be healthcare workers, people 65 and older, people in nursing homes, people in other senior care facilities, people with the underlying conditions. So that's, that's where we are, but it, it's good news the sooner you start to get that vaccine out there. And I understand it's going to be incremental. It's going to be baby steps in the beginning. But but it's good news that they're starting to roll that out. And if you can get to a point where in the next couple of months, you, you have a significant number of people who are getting vaccinated, I, I think that's where we start to see some some of the numbers will kind of abate. And that would be a good thing. All right. Again, we're going to go where angels fear to tread. I had hoped after the election that, that maybe maybe people would, would dial down the, the, the hate on both sides. And it, like if our text line is any indication, that, that's not the case. I mean, people are just as worked up now as they were before the election. You've got people who are supporters of President Trump who are just absolutely convinced that the election was stolen. You've got people who are supporters of Joe Biden who think that President Trump is the Antichrist and he deserves to be put in prison and that anybody who voted for anybody who voted for President Trump, those 70 plus million people, you're nothing but an, uh, you're an uninformed, you know, hate-filled racist. I I get no sense at all that, that we're, we're coming to a closure as a country. And I guess I think that that's disturbing. Now, I appreciate that there may well be litigation still going on to try to change the outcome of, of the election. As I said yesterday, and I know some people don't like to hear this, at least so far, I, I've seen nothing that's been presented that convinces me that there were widespread voter fraud, which would result in, in the changing the outcome in, in any particular state. And unlike what happened in 2000 with Bush Gore, where the, the, who, got, who won the presidency decided on, was decided on who won Florida, and Florida was a couple thousand votes. Here you're talking about multiple states. And it, to me, to try to bring different lawsuits that would overturn the results of the election in all these various states, I just don't see it happening. But that's not to say that, it, that you can't bring the suits and you can't try. All I know is that every time I turn around and I see a suit filed, and then two days later I see it either being dismissed or being tossed. So I, I think that that's kind of the reality for Trump supporters, that it, it's not going anywhere. That's not to say that you can't pursue this, but that's just kind of the real world thing of what's going to happen. And you can be upset at the outcome, but you've you got to face facts. And maybe you can take that anger and you can channel it into trying to say, how can we improve election procedures? How can we motivate people moving forward to go out and vote? All those different things. But I, I don't think these court challenges are ultimately going to get anywhere. But people can, people can pursue them. That's fine. At the same time, we are faced with a situation where 
at least unless there is something major that changes. Joe Biden will become the next president of the United States in January. And historically, what has happened is we have had a transition process. The transition process meaning that, you know, when one president is going to be leaving and one administration is going to be leaving, the people that are coming in are are given briefings and, and they're allowed to meet with officials and they're allowed to start to get up to speed. Now, obviously, Joe Biden doesn't become the president until January, but at the same time, At the same time, you would think that you would want to have an orderly transition. And contrary to popular belief, we have in general had orderly transitions. You know, one of the things that, uh, for example, President Obama is, is very, very upfront about is how much cooperation he got from the Bush administration in easing that transition and how the Bush folks were incredibly open and supportive in trying to ease that transition. Um, I think... And again, maybe there's some issues with this, but I think that the, the Trump folks would also, if they were under oath, they would tell you that the Obama administration was very, very accommodating in helping their officials you know, get the information they needed so they could hit the round running in January. Well, so far, that has not happened. And I understand this is a little bit different because President Trump lost the election the way it appears now he lost the election as opposed to just leaving after eight years but so far i mean the the trump white house has instructed senior government officials to block any cooperation with biden's transition team all right our number is 855-616-1620 that's the acunate mortgage talk and text line now i guess to me I I think this is petty, and I think it is short-sighted. If the president wants to use legal challenges to try to argue that the election was stolen or there was fraud or whatever, that's all well and good. But it seems to me that doesn't mean that given the fact that it appears that unless courts start to intervene, you're ultimately going to be leaving the White House in January. It doesn't make any sense to me that you would not cooperate with the transition team. I mean, if it turns out that you know you get courts in Pennsylvania and Georgia and Michigan and Wisconsin and Arizona and Nevada or wherever you need to overturn the results of the election, well, that's well all well and good. Then you know, call off the movers. But I don't see any purpose in not cooperating with the transition team so that in the event that that Joe Biden is the next president, his his team can have access to information and can be ready to hit the ground running. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I understand that's not what some people want to hear. But to me, it just makes sense moving forward. Cooperate. Let's try to have an orderly transition. If it turns out that you're able to succeed in court cases, that, that's fine. Then you haven't lost anything. But is there really anything to gain by not cooperating with the Biden transition team? And is that, is that the way you want to go out? And does that make for good government moving forward? And my answer to both those questions would be no. 855-616-1620. Would you like to see broader cooperation between the Trump administration and the Biden transition team? To me, it's an obvious thing. It's a no-brainer. Of course, we should be cooperating because, at the end of the day, we, we at the end of the day, you want a smooth transition. That is in the interest of the country, isn't it? We discuss in a moment. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
855-616-1620. Jeff, as a reluctant Trump supporter, I know the election is over. Trump needs to accept this and start the transition process. On a related note, it's interesting to see that not all the Democrats are liking Biden's appointments. The party infighting is already beginning. Yeah, I mean, Joe Biden's going to have some challenges because... I believe he's a center-left Democrat, but he's going to have all sorts of pressures from the left wing to try to push the party into different respects. Um, Jeff, there are so few opportunities left for President Trump to act presidential. He should allow full cooperation to a transition group for President-elect Biden. If he's truly interested in keeping America great, he should do everything within his power in the last two months of his presidency to facilitate a smooth transition. Uh, Jeff, you're 100% correct, but I don't think the president will ever cooperate because in that, in his mind, that means he... He lost. Jeff, I seriously don't understand why this is even a question. Well, I, it is a question, because um, that's the issue that, that's going there. Uh, 855-616-1620, Vincent on the northwest side. Vincent, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, this is certainly some childish behavior from the Trump administration. <laughs> the, the, the fact is we're in the a, a, a middle of a pandemic. It needs to be a smooth transition because... Uh, the Biden team needs to understand where we've been as far as what we're doing about the COVID, about dealing with the vaccines and everything else and how we're going to dispense them, what we need to do. And so there needs to be this coordination be th- between the two teams to understand how we're going to move forward. And it's also dangerous to our country because our enemies enemies are sitting out there waiting. They could, they, they're basically looking at what we're going to do here as a country. And so we, 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 need, we need to have a real smooth transition. And, 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 and President Obama sat down with Donald Trump for almost three hours and yeah. talked to him about the issue, issue of the presidency and the transition. And I don't see why uh, 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 President Trump can't put his big boy pants on and sit down and do the right thing. Well, and of course, Vincent, I was mentioning also, if you listen to President Obama, he'll be the first to tell you that when President Bush was leaving, that was one of the things that they did. For a two- or three-month period, essentially the Obama folks, the incoming folks, were given complete access to all the agency heads and all the documents. And I I think President Obama really appreciated that because it made the transition easier, and they were allowed to hit the ground running. Now, some people might not have liked the direction, but still, elections have consequences. Why not? not cooperate i just for the life of me i don't understand the downside if president trump wants to continue to pursue legal challenges or whatever you you can do that but at the same time you still aid the transition on the chance that you you are going to have to leave in january exactly i agree with you totally so so it it should be done it should be done quickly uh it should be done like uh, most presidents have done it's over the over the years and and american people should demand it and should demand yeah, that thanks. this happens because, because it's perhaps important. Yeah, thanks for the call, Vince. I appreciate it. 855-616-1620. Um, considering every time I turn around, the media has another headline of how the Biden group and Democrats are slamming the Trump administration, do you think that makes them more willing to help? I, look, I, I, I get it. I, I, I understand that. And I also, I also, for example, understand that that... Donald Trump never had a honeymoon. I, I, I see the the way he came into office was he was never accepted by by Democrats. 
The idea was, oh, he, he stole the election from Hillary Clinton. Um, you know, Russia, Russia, Russia. We're going to be doing all these investigations, etc. So I understand that on, on the one hand, it's like, okay, I wasn't treated fairly. So why why should I cooperate? Why should I treat people fairly? And, and I, I understand that to an extent. But at the same time, if we're going to bring this country together, and, and I think that should be the goal of all of us, we have to figure out ways to get past some of of, of the pettiness. Because I, I'm not saying, look, the, the term doesn't expire till the end of January or whenever it is, whenever the inauguration is in January. And, and President Trump is still the president in, until then. You, you can be the president, though, without saying, OK, I'm going to I'm going to try to cooperate here so that if things work out like it appears they're going to work out, that, that at least the, the country can not have to grapple with things and, and not have to deal with problems because it's not just the pandemic. I, I mean, we're, we're in an interesting time, you know, in, in world affairs, and there's no question that, that Russia, there's no question that China, they're, they're watching us. Vincent is absolutely correct, and they, they want to, I don't want to see... The, the, any sort of delay in the transition, if there's going to be a transition, I don't want to see that be used for our country's enem- enemies to take advantage of us. Freddie in Greenfield. Freddie, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, thanks for taking my call, Jeff. Hey, sure. Listen, you know, you know, we all know that this country is in a precarious situation right now, you know, with the, with the pandemic and, and with a lot of world problems going on right now. And, right. You know... Donald Trump being a narcissist that he is, he's doing all this stuff on purpose. But my question is, Jeff, when is the rest of the Republican Party, the senators and congressmen going to say, hey, that's it. Enough is enough. Mr. President, you either transition in in an orderly, manly-like atmosphere or you're on your own. Well, I think thanks to call Freddie. I, I I think you're going to be getting to that point. And, and I mean, here's look. Let's let's pull back the veil and let's be you know honest as we deal with this. The, I, I understand that there's people on the left, for example, who want to just pretend that that Donald Trump was not a political factor and didn't have support. But I mean, here's the bottom line: over seventy-one thousand people voted for Donald Trump, and, and so th- this idea that all right, that, that we have uh, this country that you just is completely and totally denounced Donald Trump. That that didn't happen. I, I look. I think the evidence is he lost this election. But but the truth is he's still a, a huge. There, there's a lot, millions and millions and millions and p- millions of people who aren't racists, who aren't evil, but they support the president. So from the perspective of the Republican Party moving forward, you, you've got this balancing act. You have people who are a, a very very in favor of President Trump, and you want, on the one hand, you want you don't want to alienate them. At the same time, you you want to recognize that, you know, in all likelihood, Joe Biden's going to be elected. He's going to take over the he's been elected. He's going to take over the office in January. So you want to have that balancing. My guess is that the president has been on kind of a short leash, and I think people have been just kind of waiting to see what happens and is there going to be any sort of lawsuit that ends up getting traction. You have Rudy. 
Rudy Giuliani going on television and saying, I've got, I've got the, these things. I can't tell you, but I've got all this evidence of fraud that we're going to drop. And, and so far, it's been kind of a nothing burger. So I, I think that you're going to have respected leaders in the Senate and in the House, Republican Party officials, who are, are sitting there saying, okay, well, we're, we're going to keep our powder dry and we're, we're going to see where all this goes. But I, I think you're getting to the point where it's kind of like put up or shut up. And, and there's, if there's valid evidence of fraud, that's fine. But to answer your question, I think moving forward, you know, more and more people are going to come and reach the point where they say, okay, time to get on with this. And, and candidly, the sooner the better. Like I say, so at least as far as I'm concerned, cooperating with the transition doesn't mean giving up any allegations that you might have that the election was stolen. You can do both. But it's in the interest of the country, if Joe Biden is going to become the next president in January, that I think that appears likely, all right, then we, we want to smooth the transition. And to do otherwise isn't good for the country. Back with more in just a couple of minutes. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. A number of people are saying, hey, Dane County is now gather, is now banned any sort of outdoor gathering in excess of 10 people and no indoor gatherings at all. And the question a number of people are asking is, how, how does that apply to the Wisconsin Badgers? Does that mean we're not going to have any football games or anything like that, no basketball games or anything like that? And my, my answer is, i got to look at it, but I, it, it's the Wisconsin Badgers, and, and my guess is, that even if it doesn't make any sense for the rule, they're going to exempt, for example, the, the football program from that. But we'll we'll check on it. But, yeah, it's kind of like, well, it's the Badgers football team, and that's okay. They can gather, and they can have the mass meetings, but we, we can't allow you to have your kids over for a Thanksgiving dinner. I, I did, consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds. Okay, let, let's switch gears for a minute. We've been spending a lot of time today talking about COVID-19 and the pandemic and politics and things like that. I want to talk talk about sports for a minute. Now, typically, I leave these conversations for the folks down the hall, you know, on our ESPN stations, but big news in the NBA involving the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, let me kind of back into this. I, um, as somebody who grew up around here, I remember 1971. I was a kid when the Bucks won their first and only championship. 50 years ago. And I can remember all the excitement. You had Oscar Robertson. You had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You had all the different complimentary players. And, and that, that was great. That was great. And there's been a lot of Bucks teams that have been really, really good over the last you know 50 years. But they have one championship. One championship. And so often in the world of sports, what happens is we, we, the teams decide we, we've got a plan for the future. One of my criticisms about the Packers, for example, this year is I, I think they're a really, really good team. But, you know, Aaron Rodgers, the window for Aaron Rodgers is closing. And I think that, you know, they have, in this effort to, gee, we don't want to mortgage the future, what, what's happened is that they have, for years and years, not surrounded Rodgers with a couple impact players that, <clears throat> if you had one or more impact players on defense, or, or somebody, another great wide receiver to compliment uh, Devontae Adams, m- maybe what you do is, is you, you'd have a chance to win the Super Bowl. Now, I'm not saying they're not going to win the Super Bowl, but they've been really reluctant to recognize the future is now. The Bucks 
do not have that situation. For the last two years, the Bucks have had the best regular season record in the NBA. However, they've fallen flat in the playoffs both years, haven't made the NBA Finals, much less won it. And so you have arguably the best player in the NBA right now, Giannis, and you know you have an, another player that's really, really good, Chris Middleton, and you've had complementary players, but it hasn't been enough to get you over the hump. So what the Bucks decided to do yesterday is they decided to, to essentially go all in. First of all, they're trying to convince Giannis to sign a multi-year extension. And one of the things they're trying to do is to say, look, we, we want to win, and we're going to surround you with the players that you need to win. So what they did is they made a deal with the New Orleans Pelicans to go after a, a guard. His name is Drew Holiday, and he, he's generally regarded as one of the best, if not the best, two-way guards in the in the NBA by two-way I mean offense and defense put together great player in addition to that extremely well liked very very well thought of quality guy now to get him the Bucks had to trade Eric Bledsoe and George Hill and three first round picks all right the Bucks weren't stopped didn't stop there though they then went to Sacramento and they got a, a sharpshooting guard Bogdan Bogdanovic who is just an incredible scorer and to get him again they had to give up their last two first round picks Dante DiVincenzo and DJ Wilson and Ursan Ilyasova so they've they've traded away lots of draft picks they've traded away a large chunk of their team the general consensus is that right now the Bucks have the the best starting five in the NBA. Now the problem is they're over the salary cap and that means that they've got to fill out the rest of the team and they're going to have to do that with kind of like aging veterans on minimum minimum contracts. But the bottom line is they've clearly made the decision that we're going to try to win now. Now this could all blow up in their face. Um, uh, Giannis could decide not to re-sign a maximum contract. Uh, Drew Holiday, he's going to be a free agent next year. He could decide not to re-sign. And the Bucks have given away like a huge chunk of draft picks moving forward. So they've definitely taken a risk. But they've decided to go all in, recognizing that the future is now, recognizing that they've had a kick-butt team for the last couple years, but it hasn't been good enough. And this, I think, is a demonstration that we're, we're in it to win it now. We hope it's going to work out for the future, but we recognize it might not, but we're going to take a risk. Our number, 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, Wisconsin sports fans, let's have a discussion about this. I I'm thrilled that the Bucks did what they did. I recognize there may be a risk to this. I recognize that this may, in fact, you know, blow up in their face. Clearly a possibility. There is a risk to this. But, you know, it's been 50 years since they won an NBA championship. I think they've come to the conclusion that what they've got right now wasn't going to necessarily be good enough to get over the hump. So they're saying, we're going to try to deliver a championship team. We're going to try to win it all. These are the moves we need to make. Hopefully it will work out in the future, but we're in it right now. 
I applaud the team for doing that. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And candidly, I would much rather have a team take an approach like this to try to deliver a championship for this area than this sort of timid approach saying, well, we know we're not quite good enough, we're not quite getting, we're, but we're going to hope for the best, and, and then you know, we're going to worry about three years from now. Well, in professional sports, whether it's football or baseball or basketball or hockey or whatever, the future is now. I give the Bucks an A-plus for their move. What do you think? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I'm telling you something. I think if you're a Wisconsin sports fan, that this is something to be excited about. You, you look at, at the Brewers, and the Brewers made the commitment to go with Christian Yelich. You've got the, the Packers, who have had arguably one of the best quarterbacks of all time, Aaron Rodgers, for years. And I think you can make a, if you want to criticize the Packers, and I understand that's heresy here in Wisconsin, it, it would be that the Packers... Re, in understanding that they have one of the greatest quarterbacks ever, have failed to surround him with a, a sufficient supporting cast. I, I think when you when you look back on the Rodgers tenure, um, so far there's one Super Bowl, and you you almost like shake your head and go, hey, how could a quarterback this good playing for a franchise like the Packers? How could you only have the the one Super Bowl win? And I think part of it is because the Packers have been way too timid over the years, refusing to recognize that the future is now. Okay, we're we're not going to trade a second round draft pick for somebody who might be a bomb or a second round draft pick that might work out or might not work out in order to get us a superstar player who could help win the win the Super Bowl now. I think that's going to be a fair criticism of the Packers organization moving forward. You can't say that about the Bucks. You have a situation where the Bucks awesome team, best record in the NBA for the regular season, but they flopped in the playoffs the last two years. They recognize that, you know, it the, the future is now, and so you make this this deal. And I, I applaud him. I remember it's been fifty years since the Bucks last won the championship. Fifty years—that is a long time. And and yeah, giving up a couple of your first round picks and giving up some of your future first round picks, there there is a cost to that. But I'm telling you, can we go another fifty years without a championship, Jeff? I agree with you one hundred percent. These are the kinds of risks that small market teams have to take when the opportunity presents itself. The Packers might have two or three more titles if they took the same approach. Jeff, the Bucks got a great offensive point guard who can defend. This will make Giannis more effective player, not having to be the only scorer and distributor. They also got a great dead-eye marksman. I think it's a great mix. Jeff. Um, hey, Bucks! welcome to the big boys' table. Yes, it's a risk, but it's what you have to do if you want to win a championship. Jeff in Fox Point sends a text. He says, I give them an A+. Plus. Um, yeah, I think, you know, that that's that's exactly it. Jeff, I agree with you 100%. They need to show Giannis they are in this to get a championship. I think, I hope, I pray he'll re-sign. I think it was an extremely smart move. You know, yeah, I, I think... It was as well. But you need to do these types of things to say that you're serious about trying to make a difference. Jeff, um, let's see. Da, 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 da. I can hardly wait to see what ticket prices are going to do. Well, there, there's there's no question about it. Um, it's They will be 
in all likelihood, over the NBA salary cap. So that means that they're going to have to pay a penalty, a luxury tax. On top of that, there's a, there's a hard cap in the NBA that I think shows how crazy money is. It's like $138 million. You, you can't exceed that. There, there is a real possibility that the Bucks aren't going to have enough salary room to even have 15 players on the roster, that they're just not going to have enough money that's there. But, but that's, I guess my, my point is that that's okay. You know, you, you want to you want to do what you have to do to try to, you know, win. Now the Bucks have made some high profile moves over the years that, that haven't worked out. I still remember when George Carl traded Ray Allen and brought in Gary Payton, who didn't want to be here and, and played for essentially half the season and it was just it was actually I think one of the worst trades in NBA history. That didn't work out. But Payton didn't want to be here and he wasn't gonna be the difference maker. In this case I, I think, you know, maybe they have it. Um, Jeff, nobody's going to remember or care about first-round picks when you're handing the championship trophy to Giannis. And if you don't do anything and Giannis is traded, then you'll have all the first-round picks for him that you could ever hope for. Well, that's, you know, that, that's, that's exactly it. Sometimes you have to say the future is now, the opportunity is now, and here we're, we're going to go with it. And, and that's, that's what they did. And it, there's going to be a cost, and I don't know what it's going to be for ticket prices. But, yeah, Jeff, I think this is great for the Bucks. Um, I believe the Packers, you're right, have wasted years not doing the same thing. So I think there is an element to that. This is, this is a good move. This is a positive move. This is good for the community. It's good for the team. It shows the owners are committed to trying to win and recognizing that they've got an opportunity right now to take advantage of it. They have a potential to put Milwaukee on the national, maybe the international sports scene. And I give credit to the general manager and the owners for pulling the trigger. Now all we have to see is how the players are going to perform and who else is going to be on the team. Because right now they've got, I think, the best starting five in the NBA. And then they've got only two other people that are under contract. And they're going to have to figure out where they're going to fill out the rest of the roster. But right now, great move. No question about it. Hopefully I'll feel the same way. Oh, I don't know. Once we're 40, 50, 60, 70 games into the season. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Thank you so very much for joining me. All right, this is something, as I said, I had hoped after the election that that, that the kind of hate on, on both sides would, would subside a little bit. And unfortunately, my sense is that, that it hasn't. And I don't think that's constructive. And I, I understand that you've got millions and millions of people who are supporters of President Trump who just d- don't want to accept the fact that it looks like he lost the election. And then you have, again, millions and millions of supporters of President Biden who look at the 71 million people who voted for Donald Trump and think they're nothing but ignorant racists and that shouldn't have a place in American society. And the truth is we, we have a very divided country. And it's one thing to have legitimate policy differences, but we, we've got to figure out, in my opinion, a way to get past this and, and recognize that we're going to have policy disagreements and we're going to have arguments, but we, we, we can't have the civil war and we can't have the hatred. And there's a lot of blame to go around on both sides. Interestingly, there's a story about about Joe Biden and, and what he's trying to do. Now, I understand that there are a lot of people on the left 
who want to see Donald Trump not only leave office, but they want to see him prosecuted. They want to see him hounded. They want to see him harried. They want to see his life absolutely destroyed because they hate him. Now, the problem that you have with that is for everybody out there that feels that way, there are people on the other side who feel that Donald Trump has never gotten a fair shake, that he was you know, improperly investigated by the Mueller investigation, that you had one scheme after another that was designed to try to delegitimize his presidency, and will believe that if there are ongoing investigations that, that continue, what's going to end up happening is that, that again, and they'll view that, these are the Trump supporters, as just a continuation of what they perceive has been the vendetta that the left has been running, together with its allies in the media, over the course of the last couple years. That, that's sort of the reality that's out there. So there's an interesting story about, and, I mean, of all places, NBC had it, and it, it's, it's about Joe Biden. And apparently, the, the reports are that, that Joe Biden is telling his advisors privately that he does not want his presidency to be consumed by investigations in, into Donald Trump. Apparently, you know, and, and I give Biden credit for this. I mean, he, he's expressing exactly the same concern that I just said. He's apparently concerning that, that, look, multiple investigations into Trump, all it's going to do is further divide a country that he's trying to unite and, you know, risk making every day of the Biden presidency uh, about the, the Trump presidency. That's why I thought when I, you know, and you'd have the rallies and you'd have the chance about lock her up and the, the calls for, you know, should we investigating Hillary Clinton about the email server? I argued this several years ago and some people didn't like to hear it, but I would just argue it's not productive because you're, you're, you're looking back at the past. Now, I understand that the New York Attorney General is conducting some investigation into Trump's business dealings and things like that. And my guess is that that will continue. And whenever I say this, I get all these nasty emails from the left saying, well, you're a former prosecutor. How dare you can, can say that you're, somebody should get away with something illegal? And, and I, I've never suggested that at all. But at the same time, th there's illegal, and then they're searching for trying to find something that is illegal. And I, I'm just here to tell you, and I think it's the same thing that Biden is saying privately, that if we spend the next two years of, of of the country's time obsessing with can we come up with any theory at all that we can find to bring a criminal investigation against Donald Trump all that is going to do is further divide a very divided country and I understand you know what, what Biden's talking about he's I, he's figuring I've got a limited amount of time here you know, maybe he runs for re-election at the age of 82, but he's probably figuring, I've got four years. I, I've got four years here. I want to accomplish everything I can, and I don't want major league distractions. So th this is a situation, if Biden is really saying these things, I, I think it's exactly the right tone to take. And again, I understand that there's people on the left who hate Trump, want to see him locked up. I think in this case, you should listen to Joe Biden. All right. When we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure has on his mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.